All right, Isaiah 53, 700 years before Christ went to the cross. Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that should be attracted to him. But he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. For he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. For the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Jesus was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generations who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with the wicked men, Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But here's the Father's plan, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. For, excuse me, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. For by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many. As he will bear their iniquity, therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Thank you for everything, Lord, for saving us, for redeeming us, Lord, for bringing us into the family of God and to just your presence being with us, Lord. We're so thankful for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Hey, in that crown that we were singing about, guess what? You don't get to hold it for very long. You know that? It says we're going to exchange it for a crown. We're going to take that crown and we're going to throw it at his feet one day in heaven. You may have a seat. Amen. Amen. I, I, I love this time of year. I, I love the season changing. I love the focus of Easter. I love apologetics and digging into everything that took place on this weekend. Just today and this week I was studying, you know, when, when Christ breathed his last 
I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm, I'm, I'm talk, I just want to mention that when, when, when uh, Christ breathed his last, it says that the temple veil was torn in two. And I was looking at it this week and looking at it today, and you and I needed what was behind that temple veil. You and I needed it desperately. They needed it desperately. What was behind that temple veil? The presence of God. And not only the presence of God, but the holiness of God. You know, where, the, where, the, where they brought in the sacrifice. But there's just so many different ways you can study Calvary and study each one of those things he said at the cross and each one of those things that took place. Them taking the body down. I think I might talk about that some on Sunday morning. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus from John chapter 3. What was it like to take the body down? You know, did, did they use crowbars to get his hands off? Or did they just pull it off? You know, it says that they prepared his body and put it in the tomb. That means that they took the crown of thorns off. What was that like? You know, just what a weekend. What a weekend it must have been for the disciples and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and just everybody that witnessed it. What was it like? It was, it was, it was, um, what a weekend. But everything you think, well, wait a minute, they saw Jesus dying on the cross. This is amazing. But they didn't put the blocks together until after his resurrection. It was after the resurrection. It was after the Holy Spirit came. And they became born again. It was like, oh, okay, we see it. We see it. He had to die on the cross for our sins. He had to rise from the grave. The Holy Spirit had to come. And they saw all these pictures. But tonight, being Good Friday... I want to look at the last three things Jesus said on the cross. Um, so we're going back up on we're going back up on the mountain. We're going back up on the mountain. As I've said before, no words. I said this last Sunday, but no words that Christ ever spoke or any words that are written in Scripture are ever useless. They're never in vain. They they um, they serve a purpose. Every word is full of wisdom and truth. And if you weren't with us last Sunday. The first four statements was, the first one was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ was speaking about forgiveness. That's God's heart. God's desire, the Father's heart, is to forgive. He's a God of reconciliation. That's the theme of the Bible. The second statement, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, man, there's so many things you, you could talk about there, you know. I don't believe in soul sleep. I believe the moment, the moment you pass in this life, you're waking up in glory. Today you will be in paradise. And then paradise, John chapter 14. Uh, heaven is a real place. There is a place called heaven where there's no sickness, no disease, no suffering. The third statement, um, he says, Woman, behold your son. And he told John, behold your mother. And I believe when this statement was made at Calvary, um, a change was taking place in Mary. The change that was taking place, Jesus was going from being her son to being her Lord. And it also teaches us that God is compassionate. God is loving and God is caring. He is those things. He, 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 I say that right? Those things are part of who he is. A loving, caring, omnipotent, almighty God who cares for us. Just like he cared for Mary and provided for her needs. The fourth statement, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, we believe it was at that point 
that everything was poured on him. Everything was poured on him. Some theologians like to say the father turned his head. There was a separation as the son took on the sin of the world. So that's a a magnificent moment. You know, in in ancient history, I forgot the historians' names. I read about them this week, though. But they talk about there being an eclipse at this time, at the time of Christ's death, that many historians wrote about around the world. That, you know, this wasn't just localized there over the hill of Calvary. But it was it was around the world around the European um, world in, in Asia Minor that there was a recorded eclipse that took place as, as God poured it out on Jesus poured out His wrath on Jesus for our sin. So tonight that brings us to the fifth statement. The fifth statement is found in John nineteen twenty eight, and that scripture says, "After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture." He says, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. What is happening there at Calvary as John is penning John 19, 28? This statement here, it speaks of the the humanity of Christ. You know, we believe that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. He was the God-man. So, yes, he was God, but he was human at the same time. And he felt feelings and and. He felt this physical suffering. He felt the the pain of of those nails, of the crown of thorns. He he felt the exhaustion. Many, many scholars believe that um, that Thursday evening from when he was in the garden till the next morning, he went through, I think, five trials in a span of about 12-hour period. He didn't get no sleep. He was spent. He was done. He was, as you could say in today's world, he, he had gone as far as the human body could go. I mean, this, this is it. And it, it says here, he says, I am thirsty. Did you know that they offered him drink twice at Calvary? Before the crucifixion, before he was nailed to the cross, they offered him, uh, the scripture says, wine and mirror, which is a, 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 a sedative. What do you call it? Um, a a, a painkiller. Thank you. It was a painkiller, and they put it to his lips, and he rejected it. He refused it because he knew what he was doing. Remember back in the garden, he said, Lord, you know, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. What was that cup? The cup in the scriptures is a picture of God's wrath. It was a picture of, of God's judgment on sin. And he wasn't going to take no painkiller because he knew that he had to bear the wrath of God for the sins of the world. So that was before the crucifixion. He rejects it. But now, as we get to this fifth statement, um, he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And there were some people there at the foot of the cross, and they thought, oh man, he's calling for Elijah. So there, there's two things going on here. One is, they're getting this sponge of hyssop in an attempt to prolong his life, to wait and see if Elijah shows up. But the second thing that's taking place here, as he is um, offered this, uh, the, the scripture doesn't call this wine and marrow, it calls it sour wine. It calls it sour wine that just, that just added to the suffering. It had nothing to do with alcohol, or, but it, it was just a, it was a sour wine. It was 
just to add to the agony of what he was going through. But uh, it was to fulfill prophecy. It was to fulfill prophecy. Psalm 69, 21 says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And it's interesting, back at John 19, 28, he says, uh, been accomplished to fulfill the scripture. Jesus knew that this was a prophecy that he had to fulfill. So what is God saying to us today? That's what was happening there. What is God saying to us? That Jesus was a human with real flesh. He was a human with real flesh, and he was completely spent for us. He was completely poured out through this Calvary. This is the Jesus that blessed the little children. This is the Jesus that fed the 5,000. This is the Jesus that showed grace to the woman caught in the act of adultery. This is Jesus who changed the water into wine. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And now he's, he's, he's wasting away. So that's statement number five. Statement number six, the sixth statement on Calvary, found in John 19.30. It says, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. The plan from before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God going to Calvary to pay the price for our sins. The Old Testament, actually it says in Hebrews, but it's referring to the Old Testament. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. A lamb has to be offered. Uh, uh, blood has to be shed. So what's happening there is Jesus is saying it is finished. He's saying this. The sacrifice is complete. The sacrifice is complete. No more sacrifice needed. No, no more sacrifice needed. Atonement had been made by Jesus' death on the cross and his shed blood so that each and every one of us can stand in here, stand before God, and be white as snow, to be reconciled. God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. A sinful man cannot enter into uh, the presence of a holy God. In, in the Old Testament, uh, they, 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 taught, they taught that um, when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make the sacrifice, one thing he had to do, he had to make sure all of his sins were forgiven. He had to make sure everything was completely cleansed. He had made atonement for everything he had done. Because if he went into that holy of holies with sin, guess what was going to happen? He was going to be struck down. That's why they would tie a rope to their ankle or to their waist. And they would let him go into the holy of holies and make the sacrifice. If he did get struck down, everybody outside would be like, we ain't got to go in there. We can just pull him out. Because nobody in their right mind would go into the presence of God with their sin. But Christ, by his sacrifice, washes us, cleanses us. And, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to make sure Christians know it crystal clearly. Of past sin, present sin, and even, yes, your future sin, the times that you blow it. Positionally, you are forgiven. You are, atonement has been made. The Greek word is telestai. It means paid in full. Our debt to God is paid completely and forever. Completely and forever.
Christians along the path of life, they sin and they blow it. Sometimes again and sometimes again and sometimes again. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us and cleanse us. You know, there's times where relationally distance, there's distance between us and the Lord in our relationship. And we need to, we need to confess it and forsake it and, and turn from it and, and, and have fellowship with the Lord. Salvation, uh, he says it is finished. The process of salvation is forgiveness. It's, it's finished. The, it's a free gift to us, but it costs the Father, his Son. It costs Jesus the greatest suffering ever known to man. It is finished. There will be no more sacrifices. I'm glad we're not living in the Old Testament. Because if we were living in the Old Testament, I would have Andy, Rick, and Paul dragging a bull in here and to make the sacrifice. We don't have to do that. No animal sacrifices. Nothing else is needed. The Lamb of God has been sacrificed for our sins. His, his blood has been sprinkled in the Holy of Holies uh, uh, for us. So we praise the Lord for that. But it is finished. The final statement. The final statement. On the cross. Luke 23, 46. Jesus says these words. I love it, man. It's, God is awesome because he just... He knows how to put it together. I, I couldn't have written this any better. Uh, I, not, God just is awesome the way he puts this together. God, Jesus is, Jesus is uh, in complete control at Calvary is what I'm saying. He's in complete control. This scene of free-for-all, things are out of control. He knows what's going on. He could have called down 10,000 angels and whoosh, wiped them out. But he's in complete control, including his statements. But the final statement. Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's taking place there at the Calvary? The eternal son is committing his spirit to the eternal father. Jesus trusted in God the Father. We see the Trinity at work. The son trusting in the Father who's up above in heaven. Jesus is um, committed to the, um, to the Father's plan. From, from, very, from the very beginning. And again, I, I think I mentioned, I talked about this last Sunday. It was, this was always plan A. This wasn't plan B. You know, um, the, uh, yes, the Romans physically took Jesus and put him up on the cross, but it wasn't the Romans' plan for crucifixion. It wasn't the Jews' plan for crucifixion. It was the Father's plan from the foundation of the world. He laid it on the Son for our salvation. Um, this seventh statement, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, I just see the, the relational aspect between the Father and the Son. You know, I believe he's bore the sin and the wrath has been poured out and, and Jesus is just, uh, this is my thoughts, okay? Father, you're faithful. God, you are awesome. The price has been paid. And now me as the son of God here on earth, I'm committing myself to you. And, and, and I know that I'm going to be laid in a borrowed tomb. And according to Romans chapter 1, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the Father is going to reach down and resurrect. You know, what did Christ do in between Calvary and the resurrection? There's passages that talk about how he went and, and proclaimed liberty 
to the captives. I believe he went and spoke to the, I don't, I don't believe he went to hell and suffered. I don't believe that. But I believe he went to the gates and proclaimed his victory over all the demonic forces and over all Satan. I have the keys. <laughs> you know, I have the victory. And for all the people for the rest of time here on planet Earth that put their trust in me, I am going to have victory in their life. Because I have victory, Rick and Ida is going to have victory. Because I have Jesus, because he has victory, Matthew's going to have victory. We, he leads us in victory. So this statement here, I talked about what was happening there. What does this statement speak to us today? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, following in the footsteps of our Savior, this statement means we can trust God. It means we can trust God. Uh, it means that God is faithful. It means that um, you can give your heart to Christ. You can give your heart to him. He's an omniscient, almighty, all-knowing God, and he can take care of you. No matter what you do or where you go, um, he can take care of you. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, I was in the Navy, sailing the seven seas. I was haze gray and underway. And, uh, but I just remember wherever I went, whether I was in the Indian Ocean or the Mediterranean or whether I was in port visits, whatever, or I was back home in Norfolk, I knew that he was with me. And I know that he was going to carry me throughout all of life's journeys. It means you can give your heart to him and you can give your life to him. Amen? So those are the seven statements that Jesus spoke on the cross. Let these words encourage you. And I hope if you, did, if you weren't here Sunday, uh, go back and listen to Sunday's message. I went very in-depth into those first four statements. And I briefly talked about these last three. But each one of these statements that Christ made on the cross, man, you can connect grace to it. You see the grace of God. You see the grace of God. You see the, um, the compassion of God. And he loves us, and he wants to have that personal relationship with us, that intimacy with us. We can have an intimate, loving relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because we have been forgiven by Calvary. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these statements that you made at Calvary. Lord, we've looked at Isaiah, we've read Isaiah, and we've looked at your statements. And Lord, all we can do is stand in amazement to what you did for us at Calvary, Lord. Father, as we go about our weekend now, this being Easter weekend, Resurrection weekend, Lord, just give us, give us a song. Give us a song. Give us joy. Lord, Friday was a very dark day, but we know Sunday's on the way. And Lord, uh, let us remember also, Lord, that it was our sin that you paid the price for. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. So Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.